may be seated. Well, hopefully you have been welcomed numerous times, but I want to say again, uh, good morning. I want to say again, good morning. There we go. My name is Philip Pinkney. I'm the lead pastor here, and it's my honor to be before you bringing you God's Word. And speaking of God's Word, if you do not have a Bible, just throw your hand up, and our ushers will put one in your hand. You are going to need the Word of God this morning. So throw your hands up, and we will put one in your hand. If you don't own a Bible, that Bible is our gift to you. Please take it home, read it, apply it, fall in love with the God that you see in it. Take that Bible with you as our gift. If you just forgot your Bible in the car, don't take ours. Amen? They are not free. We pay for those. We have been walking for the past few weeks through a series that just began. So if you're here for the first time, this is a great Sunday to be here, talking through growing pains. What does it mean for us to not just grow up as people, but to grow together as a people and the conflict that goes along with that? There's changes to our body. There's changes to our family when that family grows. Is there not? You go from being the only child to one of two. You go from being the youngest to the middle. These realities change who we are, changes our dynamic, and changes how we view the world. And sometimes they're not all that pleasant. And so we've been walking through how does the church handle difficulty? We talked most recently about disagreement and how is unity dependent upon agreement? Do we have to agree on every little thing in order for us to be one body with one faith under one Lord? And hopefully through the text of Scripture, we saw Paul and Barnabas disagreeing strongly, even to the point of separating and going their separate ways, but still they thought of each other as brothers, as co-laborers. There was love and affection. And so we see even though we grow and we may disagree, that there is space for that. Unity is not based on agreement, but upon what Jesus Christ did for us. And so we can disagree as Christians without slander or without division. And today we're going to talk about another difficulty the people of God, specifically Paul and Silas, are going to go through. And this is the question, what do you do when you can't hear God's voice? And more profoundly, maybe for some of us more relevant, is what do you do when you hear God speaking, but it just doesn't seem to make sense? What do we do when things seem unclear? Even as we get clarity, it gets more unclear. We hear God calling us to do something that doesn't seem to make sense, doesn't seem to be safe, doesn't seem to be the best decision. What do we do when that happens? Paul, who's kind of become the the main focus of Luke's writing in Acts chapter 16, which is where we're going to be, he's going to walk us through what's happening right here. So we're going to be in Acts chapter 16, verses 6 through 15. Let me read the text, and then we'll go back and see what God is saying to the church. Amen? Amen? Amen. Amen. Church is not a spectator sport, y'all. Verses 6 through 15 of Acts chapter 16. They, Paul and Silas, went through the region of Phrygia and Galatia, and they had been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. When they came to Mysia, they tried to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them. Passing by Mysia, they went down to Troas during the night, Paul had a vision in which a Macedonian man was standing and pleading with him, cross over to Macedonia and help us. After he had seen the vision, we immediately made efforts to set out for Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. From Troas, we went out to sea and sailed straight for Samothrace, the next day Neapolis, and from there Philippi. 
a Roman colony and a leading city of that district of Macedonia. We stayed in the city for several days. On the Sabbath day, we went outside the city gate by the river where we expected to find a place of prayer. We sat down and spoke to the women gathered there. A God-fearing woman named Lydia, a dealer in purple cloth from the city of Thyatira, was listening. The Lord opened her heart to respond to what Paul was saying. After she and her household were baptized, she urged us, if you consider me a believer in the Lord, come and stay at my house. And she persuaded us. That is God's word. So if you were like me the first time I read this passage, you were like, where did you get that title and intro from that verse? You lost me at the first Bithynia, right? Like all the names and all the places seem a little overwhelming, but I promise you we're going to break it down, make it real plain so that we can all get what God is saying. So let me give a little bit of background. There's these two guys named Paul and Silas. So after Paul and Barnabas, who were originally, they were the original dynamic duo, going throughout Asia and Galatia, preaching the word of God. But remember, Paul and Barnabas had that disagreement. And that disagreement was who should come along, and Paul disagreed with Barnabas, and so they split up. And so Paul picked a new co-pilot, Silas. Now, Silas was part of the church in Antioch. He was a prophet, some said. He was a, one of the leaders. And so Paul and Silas begin this missionary journey because Paul wants to go back and visit all the churches that he just came from. He said, hey, man, we just planted a bunch of churches all through Galatia, right now on, the, on the eastern coast, right, the Aegean Sea and other places. And so let's go back and see how they're doing. So that's what Paul is going to do with Silas. And so the problem was that they had gone through Syria and Cilicia and Derby and Lystra. And Lystra, they picked up another dude named Timothy, which you're going to hear more about later. And so they've been going all through the known world and preaching and checking up on the places that they've already planted. But the problem is they come to a, a crossword, a crossroad. They had just finished being in, in Antioch of Poseidon, which was one of the first churches they planted. So they had already visited all the churches they've been to. And now Paul and Silas are trying to decide what's next. We just visited all the churches we had just planted. What do we do now? That's where all the names of all those places, they were trying to chronicle the journey for us. So they just visited all the churches they had planted. Now they're like, okay, do we go back home? What do we do? And look at verses 6 and 7. This is where I get this sense of what God wants to say to us from. You may miss it if you're not careful. Verse 6 of Acts chapter 16, they says, They went through this region of Phrygia and Galatia, And they had been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. Now, before I get to the main text, I want to give a side note, because some of you are probably wondering, what do you mean they they were forbidden by the Holy Spirit? How did Paul know that God was speaking? Let me talk about that for just a second before we get back to what God says and sometimes the difficulty in it. The Bible isn't clear. Maybe it was Silas who had a vision. He was a prophet. Maybe he had a word from the Lord. Maybe it was a voice from heaven, which Paul had experienced before. Maybe it was an inward witness. The Bible does not tell us, but I think some of us, like myself, they read this like, man, I wish I was like Paul who could hear the voice of God because I'm praying for some stuff, and I would really like it for God to speak. Is that anybody in here? And so we struggle because we feel like God is silent at times, and we don't know what we're doing wrong. Maybe we're not praying right, or maybe we're not praying long enough, or maybe it's too loud where we are. Maybe I just need to turn off the lights. Like, we're trying to change the formula of prayer because we feel like we're doing something wrong. And I would submit to you that Paul had traveled throughout the known world at that time, and he had heard from God very clearly on several occasions. But the one reoccurring theme of God speaking to his people is where those people are. You see, God is most clearly heard when we, the church, are on mission. So God is distant from us. 
but he is on mission. The Luke 19.10 says the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. So God has a mission of saving the lost, of seeking the brokenhearted and binding them up, and we find a proximity and an intimacy and a closeness when we join him there. Some of you may relate to you went to a short-term mission trip at some point. And all of a sudden, the power of God was moving. The miracles were flowing. You were hearing from God every day. The, the Bible became alive. And you just, you just had this life-changing experience on the mission field somewhere. Do you think God loves you more when you leave America? Maybe, right? There could be, there could be a case, right? I'm just playing. God doesn't love you more when you leave the shores. You hear from God clearly. Why? Because you have joined God where he is, on mission. The problem is we come back here and we just go on about our own insulated, really kind of self-centered lives. And God seems distant from us. And I want to give a note for those who've done long-term missions. I am not talking to you. Your, your struggles and your issues are different. Praise God for the, the loneliness and the hardships that you face when you buy a one-way ticket somewhere. But for most of us, these are just short experiences done over the summers, done over Christmas breaks, or maybe as a concert that you went to, maybe it was passion. Do people still do passion? Is that still a thing now? Yeah, they still do it? Okay, like these, these passion conferences where they're just singing for 17 hours. And you're just like, people are crying, having these experiences. They go home like, man, I felt the presence of God so strong there. I can't wait till next year so I can talk to God again. We functionally live that way. God is not closer to us when we're in a concert with 15,000 other people. God is not closer to us when we are outside of the USA borders. God is close to us when we are on mission, though. And here's the good news, y'all. Mission is outside these doors. Mission is right inside these doors. Mission is everywhere. You can have a closeness and an intimacy with the Lord without buying a plane ticket, without going anywhere, just by loving your family, by sharing the good news with your coworkers, by praying for your, your fellow students at your college. God isn't distant, but he is on mission. So if you want him, join him where he is. And so Paul is joining God where he is. And so he hears clearly from God, don't do this. And here's where things get complicated. Paul says in verse 6, sorry, the word of the Lord says in verse 6, they had been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. Now, Asia is not the same Asia that we understand it to be now. But you've got to understand, they are in Antioch right now. They are in Asia, y'all, right now. And Paul is saying, keep moving. God is saying, keep moving. And that struck me. Ephesus is in Asia. Major centers that Paul will go to later are in Asia, but right now God says, don't say anything. Paul is a missionary. He is a church planter. There are unreached people all around him, and he's saying, be quiet. So Paul, he's like, okay, maybe you don't want to be here, so maybe I'll go up north to this country called Bithynia, but as we see in verse 7, but the Spirit of the Lord Jesus did not allow them to go north either. Bithynia was right above where they were. And so this is, I begin to wrestle with this, like, God, do you not love the people in Asia right now? Paul is already there. It would literally take nothing for him to open up his mouth and just do what he's been doing all throughout the book of Acts. And that began to, to resonate in my heart that God, God is up to something that we never get to see the whole thing. Now, by God's providence, we get to see a little bit of the plan here in this text, 
But if we were to stop right here, could we trust God? When God says no to you, when you're asking for a good thing, how do you respond? God, I'm faithful. God, I'm praying. God, I'm serving. Why am I still single? I'm trying to do it the right way. I'm, I'm in the community. I'm, I'm doing all the right things. I'm fasting. I'm reading. I'm studying. I'm growing. Being, marriage is good, right, God? You, you said it's good that man is not be alone. You said it's, a man that finds a wife finds a, a good thing. Why aren't you giving me this good thing? God, they've been sick for years. I've prayed. I've fasted. I've wept. I've put oil. The church has come to the hospital, and they're still there. God, I've been praying for my unbelieving sister for 15 years, almost every single day. Why is she still lost? What happens to our hearts and to our faith when God seems to say no to good things? God, there are people in Asia who need the gospel. Paul is there. Why shut his mouth? By God's grace, God reveals just a little bit of the plan of why, so that we would have hope. You see, there's a phrase that goes around uh, that I've said it many times, that there's a method behind the madness. Some of you have heard that before, there's a method behind the madness. Now, if we're honest, that's usually an excuse for messiness, right? So if you were to walk into my desk at, at my office right now, I will give a rational explanation for why it looks that way. This pile is this meaning, this pile means this. this like, if you ask me, but am I really being honest? Maybe, maybe not. Every once in a while, Jenny will come in and maybe out of frustration or or sympathy, she'll clean up and straighten up my office, and if I have to admit it, it's better. It's better that way. Like, if you ask me, I have a system, but it's really not a good system, and I actually probably should clean it up more often. But if you ask me, there's a method behind the madness, y'all. It looks messy, but it's it's a thing. I'm, I'm working on something. But when God says it, it's true. When it looks wrong, when it looks mad, when it looks incomplete, when God says, trust me, he actually means, trust me. Verses 11 through 13, if we're careful, we're going to disconnect these stories. Maybe in your Bible, you have a heading over verse 6 and another heading over verse 11. This is one story. Let me connect these two for you. Verses 11 through 13. From Troas, let me, let me paint a picture. So if you Google this later, a map, Paul is in, in, in Antioch of Poseida. He goes all the way through Galatia, through the top of the mountain, not stopping at Ephesus down here, goes all the way to the port city of Troas. And this is where he's got a decision to make. There's no more country left. Where do I go? And so finally, he begins to sail to what we now know as Europe. For the very first time, Christianity had not left these shores up to this point. And so for the first time, he's taking the gospel to Europe. So from Troas, we sailed out to Samothrace, and the next day to Neapolis, they're traveling through. Right now, they're in kind of lower Greece. From there to Philippi, a Roman colony and a leading city in the district of Macedonia. We stayed in the city for several days, probably waiting for the Sabbath day. On the Sabbath day, we went outside the city gate by the river where we expected to find a place of prayer. We sat down and spoke to the women gathered there. Stop with me for a second. So Paul is going to come into a rhythm. It's kind of clear now, but it'll become much clearer in the end of the book, where Paul's regular rhythm is to go to a place and find the Jews. He lands in a city. He goes to the synagogue to find the Jews because he begins his mission there. Now, he usually gets stoned and beat and whipped and jailed, but he always starts there, even though it always ends bad for him. 
So he's following his normal custom. He's waiting for the Sabbath day for the Jews to gather in the synagogue so that he can go and read the scroll and proclaim truth to him. But there's no synagogue because he's going to a place of prayer. Now, fun fact, Jewish custom required at least 10 men in order to establish a local synagogue. So most people would assume that there wasn't even 10 Jewish men because there was no synagogue. So Paul goes to the river where there's a prayer meeting, and he finds a group of women. Now, we will miss this with our common 2018 sensibilities, but there is something profound happening here. One is he doesn't find men. He finds women, and he's okay. He begins to immediately engage and confront the women. Now, this would not happen under Jewish law and under Jewish customs and cultures. There was a rabbi in the first century, Rabbi Eliezer, who was noted for saying that rather the word of the Torah be burned than entrusted to a woman. Jewish leaders saying, I would rather burn these scriptures down than give it to a woman to entrust to. This was a common thing that women couldn't file for divorce, they couldn't petition for law. There was restrictions, and here you have Paul seeing a group of women and crossing that boundary, crossing that barrier, and sharing the gospel with a group of women. And look what happens here. Acts chapter 16, verses 14 says, A God-fearing woman named Lydia, God-fearing woman is usually someone who's not a Jew, maybe a, a Gentile, but like someone who practices like they're a Jew. They're like, man, I believe in the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I'm not a Jew, but I, I'm going to roll with y'all, right? So a God-fearing woman, someone who was soft-hearted and a dealer in purple cloth from the city of Thyatira was listening to Paul. The Lord opened her heart to respond to what Paul was saying, and after she and her household were baptized, she urged us, if you consider me a believer, come and stay at my house, and she persuaded us. Y'all, the first convert in all of Europe is a woman. Luke does this, by the way. Luke goes out of his way to make sure we don't forget about the ladies. Pop quiz, who was the first people to see the empty tomb? Who was the first people to see the resurrected Jesus? Luke goes out of his way to be like, hey, don't forget. Hey, don't forget. There was both men and women in the prayer meeting. Why include that? Why not just generic believers, generic men? No, Luke is going out of his way time and time again to make sure we connect this, that Jesus is not just crossing the Jewish-Samaritan-Jewish-Gentile divide. He's actually crossing that gender barrier as well. The God is the God of all peoples, and the gospel is for all peoples. But then we begin to see kind of the method behind the madness. Because you see, Lydia isn't just any woman. She's a dealer in purple cloth. And we're like, okay, that's cool. I've got a hobby. You've got a hobby. We've all got hobbies. That's cool. That's your thing. This isn't a hobby, y'all. This is commerce. She was pretty much a local franchise owner for Castiatira, where she's from. Is They're the leader in producing and exporting purple cloth. And purple was a sign of royalty, so it was insanely expensive because we can't have common folks just walking around wearing purple, right? So it was insanely expensive, so it was hugely profitable. Lydia was rich, y'all. Let me, let me make that clear. There's people who got a lot of money. There's people who are just rich, like just money on money on money. How do we know this? Verse 40, which we'll get to in a few weeks, when Paul and Silas leave the jail, they go to whose house? They go to Lydia's house because all the church and all the believers had already gathered there. She's got a house big enough for the church of Philippi, y'all. Y'all didn't hear me. That's okay. Lydia is rich. Not just any woman, but a connected woman. 
And she not just gets saved, she immediately goes to work. Y'all, this is, God is revealing the story. Not, there's much of the Bible. When you read the scriptures, let me make it plain. When you read the scriptures, it, the, the Bible isn't just a history book, although it has history. The Bible isn't just a poetry book, although it has poetry. And so when you read the Bible, you've got to be asking yourself several questions, one of which, why is this in here? Because they could have chosen a different story. They could have chosen to exclude her name. What is God saying by keeping this in here? And here's why I believe God is keeping this in here, because he's answering the question, why, Paul, could you not stay in Asia? Why, Paul, could you not go north? Why, Paul, could you not go back east? Why you had to go to Europe to find this woman to share the gospel. You see, she was part of the Philippian church, the first convert in Europe, the first convert of the, of the Philippian church. And we're going to get here one day, but the Philippian church funds the rest of Paul's missionary travels. The Philippian church becomes known for, let me prove it to you, because y'all looking at me like I just made that up. Philippians 4, chapter 15 and 16, it'll be on the screen. Paul talking, and he says, and you Philippians, where they are right now, know that in the early days of the gospel, right now, when I left Macedonia, y'all, this is the story we're talking about, y'all get this. No one shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving except you alone. For even in Thessalonica, you sent gifts for my needs several times. Y'all, Lydia didn't just get saved. She got convinced and persuaded that this gospel needs to go everywhere, and I'll write the check. Matter of fact, I'm going to get my whole church to write the check because this gospel's got to go everywhere. Y'all see what's happening? Paul skipped Asia, didn't go to Bithynia, went to Europe, found a woman at a prayer meeting, shared the gospel with her, and she funded the rest of Paul's missionary travels. But Paul didn't know that. Paul was walking confused most of the time. Paul shared the gospel with a woman because Paul was willing to go to Europe, because Paul didn't delay in leaving Asia, because Paul didn't go to Bithynia, because Paul heard from God, because Paul was on mission with God. Y'all see the connection? We can't manufacture these type of results. If Paul was looking for someone to bankroll, he might not even thought of Lydia. He wasn't trying to be strategic. He wasn't trying to be savvy. He was just obeying the voice of God one step at a time, but God is in control. He knew what he was doing, and there was a method behind the madness. Isaiah 55, verses 8 and 9 says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, and your ways are not my ways. This is the Lord's declaration. For as heaven is higher than the earth, so my ways are higher than your ways, and my thoughts are higher than your thoughts. God is God all alone, y'all. And the reality is we don't get to see this all the time. We get the benefit of looking back. Like, oh, that's what God was doing. He was trying to connect with Lydia so Lydia could fund the mission so that Paul could go to to 20 more trips. Not just these one or two that he was trying to think, but we don't oftentimes get that perspective, do we? We just feel God saying no. We just feel God getting in the way of our happiness. 
We just feel like, man, I, it's better for me to just figure it out on my own. I've tried praying. I've tried the church. I've tried to do it God's way. It's not working. That's what we feel and see at times. We don't get to always see how the master of the universe is weaving our stories into the tapestry of eternity. We don't get to see that. That's why this is in the word of God, y'all. So that we could get a glimpse at, man, if we just trust God. I don't know why God hasn't answered your prayers yet. I don't know. I don't know why God isn't giving you this good thing that you're asking for. I don't know, but what I do know is God is good, and you can trust him, and he's in control, and that's what I do know. You see, there was another time when God was doing something that didn't seem to make sense. You see, there was this man born in a humble family, carpenter family, He claimed to be God. He claimed that he can forgive sins. He claimed that I'm the only way to God the Father. He claimed that he was creating a new family out of all the nations of the earth. And that man built up a little following, people who believed that what he was saying was true, that believed that the Old Testament prophecies pointed to him. And yet one day after things were going well, people were coming back from the dead, the the hungry were getting fed, the power was moving. Then one day, soldiers came and got him in the middle of the night. One day they dragged him to a mockery of a court. And now mind you, he has dozens of disciples who are watching this happen, but you said that you were God. You said that you were going to rescue us. What are you doing? And he was accused of heresy. He was lied on in front of the Roman government. And the next time the disciples would see him would be with a crown of thorns on his head, with a bloodied back from the whips, butt naked walking down the street with a cross on his back, heading to his own death. You see, there's a time when God was doing something that didn't make sense, where even Peter was like, Lord forbid that you should die. And Jesus responded, Satan, get behind me. He was mocked, he was whipped, he had a sharp thorn of crown of thorns pressed into his head. And all of those who were following this man were wondering, what is happening? I thought we were finally going to be free. I thought the Old Testament prophecies were finally coming true. I thought after 400 years of silence, finally the Messiah has come. But this man is being nailed to a tree right now. This man is slowly suffocating to death. This man is being put into a borrowed tomb. You remember what the disciples did when Jesus was crucified? They fled and they hid because their faith got shaken because God wasn't doing things the way they thought it should be done. I thought you were going to free us from Roman rule. I thought you were going to be our deliverer. You can't do that if you're dead. Oh, but they didn't know what we know now, do we? There was no other way for God to free us from the true oppressor, which wasn't Rome. It was sin and punishment and hell. The only way to free us was through this foolish way, this rugged cross, this Roman form of crucifixion. So God has a habit of doing things that we don't understand to accomplish the things that we, can, we don't even dare to ask for. This is our tradition, Christian, foolishness. Accomplishing God's will. Broken people like us, accomplishing God's will. Being nailed to a tree, accomplishing the perfect promises and plans of God. This is our lineage. This is our heritage. So take faith, believer. Take faith, 
believer. I don't know what your situation is. You don't even have to share it. I can't even promise you that it'll work out. What I can promise you is if you follow God, he will be there with you. I can promise you that God is trustworthy. I can promise you that God will never leave you nor forsake you because if we're honest with ourselves, God hasn't given us everything we've wanted, but he's never let us down. And we'd be fools to think he would start now. This is the story of trusting in God. This is what it means to be a Christian. It doesn't mean we rub the lamp and get our three wishes. It means we follow him wherever he takes us, knowing that he's good, knowing that he's good. Pray with me, church. Father, God, I would not have chosen a cross to ransom a people. God, I would not have chosen a crown of thorns. I would not have chosen lashes on my back. I would not have chosen the humiliation that you endured. And that is a clear reminder that I am not God. And so, Father God, in my own life, in my own circumstances, I would order my life differently. My life would be safer and more prosperous and more comfortable and more me-focused if I let it. But thank God that you are in control. Because you are better. What you accomplished for us did not make sense at the time, but it was the only way. And so, God, as we go through things in this life, it may not make sense, God, but comfort our hearts that this is the way of faith, of trusting in you despite our circumstances. God, thank you for sharing Lydia's story with us. Thank you that we can draw hope and encouragement from you showing just just a, a part of your plan and how if Paul would have not trusted you, if Paul would not have heard you, if Paul would not have listened to you, The world would be a different place. But because Paul trusted Lydia, because Lydia trusted you, because Paul trusted you, the world knows the gospel. Help us, Father God, to play our part by trusting in your plans. In the precious name of Jesus Christ, we pray. And all of God's people said,